welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. Peter's going to come and speak. Some of you will notice I'm a little bit Barry White this morning, and uh, I'm not going to sing. You'll be pleased to know. There was a groan there. It would not bless you if I sang, especially um, this morning. So, um, uh, just on on the... uh, Oh, are you going out, Emily, with the young ones? Emily's going out with the young ones. So, if you consider yourself young, you should be going with Emily. And mass exodus at that point. So... um, yeah, just thinking, thinking about songs, if anybody doesn't know. Um, in the um, charts at the moment, um, Storms has arrived and, um, with a new song. And uh, goes, I'm blinded by your grace. I am blinded by your grace. Lord, I've been broken. And although I'm not worthy, you fixed me. And I'm blinded by your grace. You came and you saved me. Lord, I've been broken. And although I'm not worthy, you fixed me. And now I'm blinded by your grace and um so i just think it's great that um some christian stuff is ending up in the secular charts at the moment it's nothing to do with what i'm going to talk well it kind of is but um um, that was just a little aside so some of you um would have been here last week and um we're doing a series through exodus and neil spoke last week and uh, he spoke from exodus 19 and uh If you were here, you'll remember that he said, you are God's masterpiece. That's you. You are God's masterpiece. It's not about how good you are, but it's about how good Jesus was. God was trying to restore the Garden of Eden as he instructed about the tabernacle. He wants the people to know him fully. And he finished with this. The enemy will try to get anything else but Jesus on the throne of your heart. We need to protect it. This is a battle. And uh, I want to carry on um, from kind of where he left off last week about some of the battle that we have in understanding who we are in God. And we're going to move into um, Exodus 20. Can anyone tell me what's in Exodus 20? Pardon? The Ten Commandments. Yeah, you're right. You get a sweep for that. And um, so... Um, there, there were the people of God, um, Israel, and they're, they're, they're in the desert, and, um, and, and God suddenly gives them the Ten Commandments, and, and the big question um, is, why on earth did they need this new law? What on earth was going on? Well, if you remember, the seas had parted, and, and they departed from Egypt, and they crossed um, over the sea. And uh, within about three minutes of arriving, they were saying, we'd be better off dead. We should just be back in Egypt. And then, uh, and then the next minute, well, we're hungry. So God provides them quail and manna, and then they go, we don't really like quail and manna. Um, and then, then the presence of God comes down on the mount, and Moses has gone up the mountain. And uh, so the presence of God is heavily there, and they go, should we make a golden calf to worship? Uh, they, they absolutely didn't get it. They had this really poor relationship with God. But God said, you are my chosen people. And I'm going to do this stuff for you. And so he says, 
he said to them, you know, you're not living with me. You're not connecting with me. Um, and I need to give you some parameters to live by. And um, so that was my first point. Why on earth did they need the law? Because they were doing their own thing. And they weren't really concentrating on God at all. So the big question is, what did the law say? Anyone know what the Ten Commandments were? Go, John. Yeah. He's doing well. Anyone else want to join in? No, you've run out, haven't you? Yeah, you don't, you don't want your neighbour's donkey. It's a really rough one. Um, yeah, you mustn't steal. Yeah, neighbor's wife. Yeah, don't, don't go off with your neighbor's wife. So, so God gives the Ten Commandments. And actually, you know, you lot know what the Ten Commandments are because you've, you've grown up knowing what they are because it's kind of something that's taught from when you're really small. It doesn't matter whether you're in church, in schools, everywhere. We understand about what the Ten Commandments are. They're the basis of most of the law systems everywhere that you are in the world. In just about every country, their laws are based on the Ten Commandments. And they're kind of this fundamental that everybody understands. Um, however, the law was so much bigger than the Ten Commandments. We've, we've got um, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy full of the law. And it, w- it was really quite extensive. And um, it told you what to do in all the different parts of your life. It told you what you should eat, when you should eat it, how you should eat it, what you should do about the mildew you get on your clothing. You know, it came down to that tiny kind of thing. It said whether you could have a tattoo or how you should wear your hair. It literally went into every part of life. And um, so God said, this is the kind of way that I want you to be living. Now, I've just kind of realized as I've been rereading the law over the last few weeks, there's a lot of do's in the law. And the do's are all about worship. Um, It says in the Ten Commandments, worship the Lord your God. And then there's rules about the temple. There's rules about the Sabbath. But they're all do's. And then there's a fair few thou shalt nots, aren't they? And they're the bits that everybody remembers. And they're all to do with your personal conduct and about the way you live your life. The thing was, it was completely impossible to keep the law. No one could do it. And was it ever God's intention that actually people would live a perfect life and then get to heaven? No. It was always about relationship. And he gave them this law, and actually they focused in on the law, and they didn't actually focus on the God who'd said, this is the way I want you to live. The rest of the Old Testament tells the story of all these people who are basically just going off and doing their own thing. Um, Every one of the Ten Commandments is broken time and time again. And actually, the people go off and they do their own thing. And repeatedly, through the whole of the Old Testament, God says, I want you to worship me. He doesn't say, I want you to follow the Ten Commandments more closely. No, he says, I want you to worship me. I want you to understand who I am. I want you to have relationship with me. So, what did Jesus say about the law? We're already on to point three. This is a good thing, isn't it? So, what did Jesus say? Actually, he said, the law's not hard enough, actually, for you. 
He said, even if you look at a woman, then you've committed adultery. He said, actually, if you just call somebody a fool, you've good as well as murdered them. So Jesus just made the law so much harder. So where does that leave us? And the disciples break the law, didn't they? We know they they picked ears of corn and they were lambasted for it um, by all the Pharisees. It says in Galatians, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would have indeed been through the law. And actually, the law was never going to bring the righteousness for people. It was never going to get them in relationship with God. It goes on. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. And um, that's really, really important. Because the people of God have always said, well, well, you've set us some ideals about the way you want us to live, and, and, and therefore we're going to focus on those, and that's what we're going to do. And time and time again, even in the New Testament, we find that happening. And actually, God says, no, it's not about that. So point four, what did Jesus do to the law? He blew it out of the water. And there's not one whoop or hallelujah in the room. And that just says something about where we're at. It's like you get chocolates for answering the questions. And um, Jesus goes, Ang, I know you didn't understand the Ten Commandments, actually. And I understand that you're not understanding what Peter's saying right now. But I'm going to give you the whole box of chocolates because actually you're worth it. And, and that's how he is. That's what Jesus did. And we, we sit there and go, mm, that's very nice. <laughs> it says there is now no condemnation. You're not condemned by the law anymore because Jesus come and he's blown it out the water. Good. So Romans 5, it says, for if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam um, he's talking about, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. So we've got Adam and he sinned. And actually we're left in that place where all we can do is is just be utterly horrible and not be at all acceptable to God. But Jesus comes and he says, that's not the way I want it to be. Actually, I want you to have full communion with me, God the Father. I want you to have the Holy Spirit living within you. And I'm prepared to die for that. I'm prepared to give you absolutely everything. And so through the one perfect man, we get full in front of God. We are completely free from the law. It says in Romans 10, Christ is the end of the law. It says in 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son and God, that you may know you have eternal life. And actually, 
There was all those people through the whole of the Old Testament, and there was a fair few of them in the New. They've got no idea that they had that freedom. No idea at all. And all they did was they'd focus in on what the law said. And they'd try and live a better life. And under that old covenant, the covenant we had before Christ came, they were having a relationship with the law. But now, under the new covenant, since Jesus has come, we are adopted. And we have a relationship with God. So five, what about us and the law? You know, when the world looks at the church, they see the law. They see a thou shalt not God over a do not church. And that's what people see. And I'm sure that makes God's heart break. Christians are seen as kind of teetotal, fun shunning, sex hating, joy sucking, hypocritical, out of touch, irrelevance in the modern world. That's what people see. Because what they see is us wanting to go back to the law the whole time. The law is there, but actually we start to set ourselves a new law so much of the time. And we forget that we've been set free from having to anything. Completely free. Romans 7 says, the law is like a husband, but that you've been set free from the law. Now, what happens when somebody gets out of an unhappy marriage? Most of the time, they go and party quite a lot, don't they? They suddenly enjoy this new freedom that they didn't have when they were in the confines of the unhappy marriage. And in Romans 7, it gives that same picture. It says, you know, you've been released You've been released, and now you're the bride of Christ, and you're free. You're free to worship. You're free to have relationship with God again. And you don't need to live under the law anymore. And the thing is, the law tells us, do not cover it. You know, don't go after your neighbor's scabby donkey. It looks so nice, though. But it doesn't give you the power... To do, to do anything about that. The law says don't do it, but you're powerless not to do it. So why did God give us the law? Now, if I'm going to come and stand before you, croaky voice and all, actually look in my wardrobe and I decide what to wear, believe it or not. And I wore this shirt on purpose because that's obviously part of what I'm saying today. And uh, I don't stand in front of you scratching my bottom, picking my nose. Because actually I'm standing in front of you all. So I'm, I don't behave that way. Because actually you behave differently when you know what you're doing and who's going to be there. If you were a child of the Queen for the day, just imagine that. Suddenly you're the prince or princess and you have all the royal privileges. Would you not behave slightly differently than you do on an average wet Wednesday morning? Imagine you were prime minister. You would know that every time you Googled something, there was a whole team watching what you're doing, knowing exactly what you Googled. 
Every time you tweeted something that someone would know, and actually when you Facebook something, there would be thousands of followers who are actually seeing what you're writing. And it would moderate your behavior because you'd understand that as prime minister, you shouldn't do these things. No one's told Donald about this yet, have they? (laughs) And actually, we are a child of the king. And when you become a child of the king, you suddenly have a change in the way you think. And it's not about the fact that you follow the law. But suddenly you understand who you are. And because you understand the way, who you are, you start to live differently from how you did before. But God doesn't say, live differently and you'll be in relationship with me. No, he says, I give you the whole box of chocolates, enjoy them, and actually, as you do that, I believe that you'll start to change. 1 John 5 says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and when we obey his commandments. So actually, we're being set a high ideal because actually we are children of the king. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And the problem is that actually we focus in on what the commandments are rather than who we are. And God says, no, focus on who you are and actually you'll start to understand about some of my ideals and I'll lead you in my way. Mark Driscoll, um, I've got a few books this morning. Mark Driscoll, Who Do You Think You Are? I'd recommend this, really good book. Um, he says, the common portrait of God is that we must be mani- he must be manipulated and coerced into blessing his people. And the thing is, God doesn't need to be coerced. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to perform in any way. God loves you because he loves you. And then he loves you some more. And actually, when we come to realize that, it changes us. But we all go, but if I then God will, and that can be positive, can't it? If I do this, actually, God will see me. God will love me more. And we get caught into that way of thinking. But we also think, actually, if I do that, God's not going to love me. And God says, no. I love you completely. And I don't care whether you do 10 million things or whether actually... You're really naughty because I love you all the time. And we need to start getting that in here. Because actually when we get it in here, it starts to get down here. And it changes us. It says in 1 Timothy, the law is for the non-believer. And actually, the laws are set for people who don't understand. But God says, but you're my children. But you're my son." You're my daughter. And that actually, because of that, you're going to be different. In Romans 7 again, it says, law shows believers what is sinful. It doesn't say, law shows the believers how they should get up in the morning. It doesn't say, the law says how you should be and how you should worship in church and what clothes you should wear and what job you should do and how you should pick your nose. 
It doesn't say any of those things. It says the law shows you what it's like to be a child of God. Next book that's good on this, Terry's book, God's Lavish Grace. Really, really good. Um, It says in here, you will never reign in life and be free from the clouds of condemnation if you do not wholeheartedly embrace the free gift of righteousness. Note that, free gift of righteousness. You need to enjoy the glorious liberty, liberty is freedom, of being a child of God, thoroughly accepted, not on the basis of your present performance as a law keeper, but thoroughly on the basis of his gift of righteousness. Christ fully reckoned to your accounts. And actually, when we get that through our thick noddles, we start to behave differently. And as I say that to you guys, you know, I'm saying it to myself because I'm so dense in these matters. So my final point. Our sinfulness, his righteousness, and our sanctification by grace. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? So sanctification is being made more like Jesus, being made more holy. And actually, that's how we get when we start to know Jesus more, and it overcomes our sinfulness. Romans 6 says, you are not under law, but under grace. And lots of people know that, but it's actually the second half of the verse. And the first part of the verse says, sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. And actually, when we understand the grace of God on our life, it releases us from the law. But we strangely pull towards what God wants for us. And the thing is, it's all a matter of your identity. When you understand who you are in God, it changes the way you behave. Max Lucado says, the meaning of life, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, and I'm sure all of you feel like this sometimes, God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. One word, grace. Because actually he sees the mess. He saw the mess before you made it. It was a nice clean floor, and at that point, he still died for you before you made the mess. It's not about the law, it's about your heart. Last book uh, to recommend, Jesus plus nothing equals everything by Tullian, beginning with a T surname. I can't say it. I can't say it. Um, Anyway, he writes a really good book. Um, and uh, I'd really thoroughly recommend this book. If you have struggled with kind of, okay, here's law, and I know God set me free, but actually I struggle to get away from needing to do stuff for God, this book is excellent because he, he just, I mean, it's all those pages to explain that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You get more when actually you realize you can give less. So he says... Contrary to what we would naturally conclude, the antidote to lawlessness isn't more rules, but it's a deeper grasp of God's grace. 
And he goes on to say, while the law guides, it doesn't give. It has the power to reveal your sin, but not the power to remove sin. The law shows us what godliness is, but it can't make us godly like the gospel can. The law shows us what sanctified life, that's a a pure life, looks like. But it doesn't have any sanctifying power as the gospel does. So apart from the gospel, the law crushes. The law shows us what to do. The gospel announces what God has done. The law directs us, but the gospel only can drive us. And I want to encourage you today. Yet we focus in on the law, but it doesn't set us free. I was at New Day a few years ago. It's a lot of years ago. That's seven years ago. Time really flies. Stu Gibbs was preaching and he said, legalism leads to misery. Grace leads to joy. Legalism leads to slavery, but grace leads to freedom. Legalism leads to us being tight, but grace leads us to generosity. And you know, I don't want to live under law anymore and be a miserable, tight slave any longer. I want to live knowing the grace of God in my life. And then I will have joy and freedom and I will be more generous. And I want to finish with this from Martin Luther. It's 500 years since he wrote this. 500 years and it's still 100% true. Because God doesn't change. The sin underneath all of our sins is the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and that we need to take matters into our own hands. Do you get that? So the devil, he says to you, you're not good enough. And actually, maybe Christ's not good enough. Maybe what he did on the cross is only kind of half the job. And actually, if you want to get to where you need to be, if you want to get right with God, you need to do some stuff. And you need to not do some of that stuff. And it's a lie. You can't be made any more right with God than Jesus has already made you. You are free from the law. You have complete freedom To come to God. And I don't know how many times I can say it in how many different ways. But it's true. And you are free. So what? How do you want to keep living? Do you want to live under law? Or do you want to live under grace? Are you fed up of trying? Trying to obey the law. Trying to live a better life. Trying to just get right with God striving hard rather than living in the freedom that grace brings. Because I believe Jesus wants to set you free from that this morning. If you're struggling with that, if you're like, God, if only then I'd be more lovely to you. He says, you are lovely. I couldn't love you anymore. You're my child and you're fab. God wants you to understand your true identity. The identity of who he's made you to be as his child. Where's the worship band? It would be really great if we could come back to worship. Because actually I think 
we um, we spend a lot of our um, our life doing this kind of stuff. Don't think I've got this cracked because I really haven't. And actually, I think all of us need to be set free from this, and we need to understand who we are. And you know what? When we come to worship, when we when we focus on Jesus, we start to forget about the the well, what ifs, and we start to see who Jesus really is, and we start to understand what He's done on the cross. And I think I think as we were worshiping this morning, there were so many things that needed a response, didn't they? A response to say, "I get what you've done for me, Jesus," and I just I just surrender under that. And I say, I want to be your child. So I want us to come back to worship. We've got quite a few minutes. Um, I've spoken for a short time, which is probably good for my voice and for your ears. But actually, we need to come before God and enjoy him.